This is Volume One, Chapter Three of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain, Volume One, Chapter Three: All Aflame with Love of France. Speaking of this matter reminds me of many incidents, many things that I could tell, but I think I will not try to do it now. It will be more to my present humor to call back a little glimpse of the simple and colorless good times we used to have in our village homes in those peaceful days, especially in the winter. In the summer we children were out on the breezy uplands with the flocks from dawn till night, and then there was noisy frolicking and all that. But winter was the cozy time, winter was the snug time. Often we gathered in old Jacques d'Arc's big dirt-floored apartment, with a great fire going, and played games, and sang songs, and told fortunes, and listened to the old villagers tell tales, and histories, and lies, and one thing and another till twelve o'clock at night. One winter's night we were gathered there. It was the winter that for years afterward they called the hard winter, and that particular night was a sharp one. It blew a gale outside, and the screaming of the wind was a stirring sound, and I think I may say it was beautiful, for I think it is great and fine and beautiful to hear the wind rage and storm and blow its clarions like that when you are inside and comfortable. And we were. We had a roaring fire, and the pleasant spit-spit of the snow and sleet falling in it down the chimney, and the yarning and laughing and singing went on at a noble rate till about ten o'clock, and then we had a supper of hot porridge and beans, and meal cakes with butter, and appetites to match. Little Joan sat on a box apart, and had her bowl and bread on another one, and her pets around her helping. She had more than was usual of them, or economical, because all the outcast cats came and took up with her, and homeless or unlovable animals of other kinds heard about it and came, and these spread the matter to the other creatures, and they came also. And as the birds and the other timid wild things of the woods were not afraid of her, but always had an idea she was a friend when they came across her, and generally struck up an acquaintance with her to get invited to the house, she always had samples of those breeds in stock. She was hospitable to them all for an animal was an animal to her, and dear by mere reason of being an animal, no matter about its sort or social station. And as she would allow of no cages, no collars, no fetters, but left the creatures free to come and go as they liked, that contented them, and they came. And they didn't go, to any extent. And so they were a marvellous nuisance, and made Jacques d'Arc swear a good deal. But his wife said God gave the child the instinct and knew what he was doing when he did it. Therefore it must have its course. It would be no sound prudence to meddle with his affairs when no invitation had been extended. So the pets were left in peace, and here they were, as I have said, rabbits, birds, squirrels, cats, and other reptiles, all around the child, and full of interest in her supper, and helping what they could. There was a very small squirrel on her shoulder, sitting up, as those creatures do, and turning a rocky fragrant of prehistoric chestnut cake over and over in its knotty hands, and hunting for the less indurated places, and giving its elevated bushy tail a flirt and its pointed ears a toss when it found one, signifying thankfulness and surprise, 
and then it filed that place off with those two slender front teeth which a squirrel carries for that purpose and not for ornament for ornamental they never could be as any will admit that have noticed them everything was going fine and breezy and hilarious but then there came an interruption for somebody hammered on the door it was one of those ragged road stragglers the eternal wars kept the country full of them he came in all over snow and stamped his feet and shook and brushed himself and shut the door and took off his limp ruin of a hat and slapped it once or twice against his leg to knock off its fleece of snow and then glanced around on the company with a pleased look upon his thin face and a most yearning and famished one in his eye when it fell upon the victuals and then he gave us a humble and conciliatory salutation and said it was a blessed thing to have a fire like that on such a night and a roof overhead like this and that rich food to eat and loving friends to talk with ah yes this was true and god help the homeless and such as must trudge the roads in this weather nobody said anything the embarrassed poor creature stood there and appealed to one face after the other with his eyes and found no welcome in any the smile on his own face flickering and fading and perishing meanwhile then he dropped his gaze the muscles of his face began to twitch, and he put up his hand to cover this womanish sign of weakness. "'Sit down!' This thunderblast was from old Jacques d'Arc, and Joan was the object of it. The stranger was startled and took his hand away, and there was Joan standing before him offering her bowl of porridge. The man said, "'God Almighty bless you, my darling!' And then the tears came and ran down his cheeks, but he was afraid to take the bowl. Do you hear me? Sit down, I say!" There could not be a child more easy to persuade than Joan, but this was not the way. Her father had not the art. Neither could he learn it. Joan said, "'Father, he is hungry. I can see it.' "'Let him work for food, then. We are being eaten out of house and home by his like, and I have said I would endure it no more, and will keep my word. He has the face of a rascal anyhow, and a villain. Sit down, I tell you!' i know not if he is a rascal or no but he is hungry father and shall have my porridge i do not need it if you don't obey me i'll <coughs> rascals are not entitled to help from honest people and no bite nor sup shall they have in this house joan she set her bowl down on the box and came over and stood before her scowling father and said father if you will not let me then it must be as you say but i would that you would think then you would see that it is not right to punish one part of him for what the other part has done for it is that poor stranger's head that does the evil things but it is not his head that is hungry it is his stomach and it has done no harm to anybody but is without blame and innocent not having any way to do a wrong even if it was minded to it please let what an idea it is the most idiotic speech i ever heard but aubrey the mare broke in he being fond of an argument and having a pretty gift in that regard as all acknowledged rising in his place and leaning his knuckles upon the table and looking about him with easy dignity after the manner of such as be orators he began smooth and persuasive i will differ with you there gossip and will undertake to show the company here he looked around upon us and nodded his head in a confident way that there is a grain of sense in what the child has said 
for look you it is of a certainty most true and demonstrable that it is a man's head that is master and supreme ruler over his whole body is that granted uh, will any deny it he glanced around again everybody indicated assent uh, very well then that being the case no part of the body is responsible for the result when it carries out an order delivered to it by the head ergo the head is alone responsible for crimes done by a man's hands or feet or stomach do you get the idea am i right thus far everybody said yes and said it with enthusiasm and some said one to another that the mayor was in great form to-night and at his very best which pleased the mayor exceedingly and made his eyes sparkle with pleasure for he overheard these things so he went on in the same fertile and brilliant way now then we will consider what the term responsibility means and how it affects the case in point responsibility makes a man responsible for only those things for which he is properly responsible and he waved his spoon around in a wide sweep to indicate the comprehensive nature of that class of responsibilities which render people responsible and several exclaimed admiringly he is right he has put that whole tangled thing into a nutshell it is wonderful after a little pause to give the interest opportunity to gather and grow he went on very good let us suppose the case of a pair of tongs that falls upon a man's foot causing a cruel hurt will you claim that the tongs are punishable for that the question is answered i see by your faces that you would call such a claim absurd now why is it absurd it is absurd because there being no reasoning faculty that is to say no faculty of personal command in a pair of tongs personal responsibility for the acts of the tongs is wholly absent from the tongs and therefore responsibility being absent punishment cannot ensue am i right a hearty burst of applause was his answer now then we arrive at a man's stomach consider how exactly how marvelously indeed its situation corresponds to that of a pair of tongs listen and take careful note i beg you can a man's stomach plan a murder no can it plan a theft no can it plan an incendiary fire no now answer me can a pair of tongs there were admiring shouts of no and the cases are just exact and don't he do it splendid now then friends and neighbors a stomach which cannot plan a crime cannot be a principle in the commission of it that is plain as you see the matter is narrowed down by that much we will narrow it further can a stomach of its own motion assist at a crime the answer is no because command is absent the reasoning faculty is absent volition is absent as in the case of the tongs we perceive now do we not that the stomach is totally irresponsible for crimes committed either in whole or in part by it he got a rousing cheer for response then what do we arrive at as our verdict clearly this that there is no such thing in this world as a guilty stomach that in the body of the veriest rascal resides a pure and innocent stomach that whatever its owner may do it at least should be sacred in our eyes and that while god gives us minds to think just and charitable and honorable thoughts 
it should be and is our privilege as well as our duty not only to feed the hungry stomach that resides in a rascal having pity for its sorrow and its need but to do it gladly gratefully in recognition of its sturdy and loyal maintenance of its purity and innocence in the midst of temptation and in company so repugnant to its better feelings i am done well you never saw such an effect they rose the whole house rose and clapped and cheered and praised him to the skies and one after another still clapping and shouting they crowded forward some with moisture in their eyes and wrung his hands and said such glorious things to him that he was clear overcome with pride and happiness and couldn't say a word for his voice would have broken sure it was splendid to see and everybody said he had never come up to that speech in his life before and never could do it again eloquence is a power there is no question of that even old jacques d'art was carried away for once in his life and shouted out it's all right joan give him the porridge she was embarrassed and did not seem to know what to say and so didn't say anything it was because she had given the man the porridge long ago and he had already eaten it all up when she was asked why she had not waited until a decision was arrived at she said the man's stomach was very hungry and it would not have been wise to wait since she could not tell what the decision would be now that was a good and thoughtful idea for a child the man was not a rascal at all he was a very good fellow only he was out of luck and surely that was no crime at that time in france now that his stomach was proved to be innocent it was allowed to make itself at home and as soon as it was all filled and needed nothing more the man unwound his tongue and turned it loose and it was really a noble one to go he had been in the wars for years and the things he told and the way he told them fired everybody's patriotism away up high and set all hearts to thumping and all pulses to leaping then before anybody rightly knew how the change was made he was leading us a sublime march through the ancient glories of france and in fancy we saw the titanic forms of the twelve paladins rise out of the mists of the past and face their fate we heard the tread of the innumerable hosts sweeping down to shut them in we saw this human tide flow and ebb ebb and flow and waste away before that little band of heroes we saw each detail pass before us of that most stupendous most disastrous yet most adored and glorious day in french legendary history here and there and yonder across that vast field of the dead and dying we saw this and that and the other paladin dealing his prodigious blows with weary arm and failing strength and one by one we saw them fall till only one remained he that was without peer he whose name gives name to the song of songs the song which no frenchman can hear and keep his feelings down and his pride of country cool then grandest and pitifulest scene of all we saw his own pathetic death and our stillness as we sat with parted lips and breathless hanging upon this man's words gave us a sense of the awful stillness that reigned in that field of slaughter when that last surviving soul had passed and now in this solemn hush the stranger gave joan a pat or two on the head and said little maid whom god keep you have brought me from death to life this night now listen here is your reward 
and at that supreme time for such a heart-melting soul-rousing surprise without another word he lifted up the most noble and pathetic voice that was ever heard and began to pour out the great song of roland think of that with a french audience all stirred up and ready oh where was your spoken eloquence now what was it to this how fine he looked how stately how inspired as he stood there with that mighty chant welling from his lips and his heart his whole body transfigured and his rags along with it everybody rose and stood while he sang and their faces glowed and their eyes burned and the tears came and flowed down their cheeks and their forms began to sway unconsciously to the swing of the song and their bosoms to heave and pant and moanings broke out and deep ejaculations and when the last verse was reached and roland lay dying all alone with his face to the field and to his slain lying there in heaps and windrows and took off and held up his gauntlet to god with his failing hand and breathed his beautiful prayer with his paling pips all burst out in sobs and wailings but when the final great note died out and the song was done they all flung themselves in a body at the singer, stark mad with love of him, and love of France, and pride in her great deeds and old renown, and smothered him with their embracings. But Joan was there first, hugged close to his breast, and covering his face with idolatrous kisses. The storm raged on outside, but that was no matter. This was the stranger's home now, for as long as he might please. End of chapter 3